This morning we are going to be in 2 Kings chapter 8. I think I told the Wednesday group, I'll tell the Sunday group here, thank you so much for your thoughts and prayers and cards and outpouring of love to me and my family as the loss of my lost my mom, didn't lose her, I know right exactly where she is. Um, but I appreciate it and thank you for that. But, uh, it, you know, um, it, what a blessing as she died exactly, I think, how most people would want to in her comfy chair next to her high school sweetheart, no tubes, no hospital, no nothing, just kind of see you later. And uh, so she's, she's gone and, and uh, we're very relieved for her. Um, and, and actually, we're really happy, so uh, my dad included. So um, thank you, though, for all the, for the, all the um, cards and, 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 and food and stuff. No more food. Stop bringing food, okay? Um, <laughs> in chapter 8, uh, we pick up the story. JC covered two chapters for us last week, um, and, you, and we could have done that today, too, but there's some, I, I got a lot of cross-references again, so um, bear with me. There's just some neat things that come out of this um, as I was studying that really spoke to my heart. So let me pray first, get my mind switched gears here and onto God's word and teaching and, and uh, we'll ask God to bless his word. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, we're able to crack open your word and read it and study it and know you better. Uh, and we pray that you would help us to understand it. Um, you, we know that the Holy Spirit is our teacher our guide into all truth. You've sent him for that purpose. And uh, so we're completely relying on your Holy Spirit this morning to uh, get it into our hearts. Uh, so Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, verse one, then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. This is the woman clear back um, in, let's see, 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, where she raised the boy up. So he's visiting her again and has a warning for her, caring for her. She's the one and her husband who made that little room for him. Uh, so when he's passing through, he didn't have to go find a, you know, a, a Best Western or something like that. He could actually show up and they had a place for him. It was a bed and breakfast basically for him and his servant. And so he swings by her house to give her a warning. And here's the warning. Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Um, this is a typology of the nation of Israel in a sense. Um, you try not to make too much of these things or read too much into them, but it's too hard to ignore that as she's asked to leave, she's going to be brought back and through the death of her son and so on, we see this beautiful restoration that's going to take place, this beautiful grace that we read in this next section. So keep that in, in mind. She's left, she's out of the scene, she's protected through the famine. Now verse three, it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and her land. When you leave, when a person would leave the nation of Israel, they forfeited their land and rights. And so it would go to a relative or even to the kingdom or something like that. But no foreigner could own Israeli land. It was uh, ordained by God to be given to each tribe. 
Uh, even the tribes couldn't take from other tribes. There was a way to keep these boundaries intact in the square mileage, square footage, however they worked it, the same for each tribe. So like Judah couldn't take over, and then there's you know 11 other tiny tribes. You know, it, it, he, They kept it that way. So this is one of the ways they would do that. Well, she's come back now, and so she needs to ask for her land back. She's got a petition for it. Now, extenuating circumstances, and we're going to see a good a good return on this. We're going to see a good outcome on this. Um, but there were some strange circumstances. She didn't leave because she wanted to renounce her citizenship as an Israeli and you know go be a Philistine. She left for safety. Okay, so um, that's the idea. Uh, so she's gone in and asked the king for an appeal. Uh, you know, hasn't come into his court yet, but is going through the proper channels. Verse four. Then the king talked with Gehazi. Now that's Elisha's servant, the one that got leprosy after he messed around with Naaman's situation. If you don't know the story, you have to go back and read it. But um, he's got the leprosy. Now we don't know if he's been healed or whether he's just carrying it with him. We don't know what's transpired or this could have even happened before he got the leprosy. Could be out of order. We don't know. Either way, he's in the, he, he's the mouthpiece for Elisha. And the king's asking him. The king talked with Gehazi the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. I want to hear testimony. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was a woman whose son he had restored to life. So he's going through all the stories Elisha ever did, and he did a lot of stuff. He gets to this story about the woman who's going through the proper channels, going through all the red tape of getting her land back, you know, and she tells, he tells the king about this woman. Um, appealing. And, and he says, there, there was this woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman. And this is her son whom Elisha restored to life, living proof right here in front of you. And when uh, the king asked the woman, she told him, yep, just like he said. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. So not only does she get her land back, she doesn't even have to start from scratch. It's as if she's been working it this whole time and gets all the proceeds. Now, I don't know how that worked. King's got a lot of money, I guess. So a big giant stimulus check is what it was to her. Just sent it to her and said, here you go. Here's all that back pay. So imagine this, understand this. This is the nation of Israel. See, people, and we talked about this on Wednesday night, and so get the tape or listen to it online or whatever. This is, exact, this is confirming even more that God is not done with Israel. And when he brings them back, when, he, when they realize that Jesus is their Messiah, not only do they get the grace that we receive, they get all that back pay too. They get all that back pay. He qualifies, he does that again with the nation of, with, with Egypt. Remember when they came out of Egypt? They've been slaves for 400 years. They came out of Egypt and they got to take all that gold with them. They were slaves working for nothing for 400 years. But when they came out, it was like they had been working for wages the entire time. God made it up. Consider that when you're running into tough times or situations where you think, I don't think I got compensated like I should. I'm not so sure. Remember who your employer is. It's always God. The Egyptians thought they were getting slave labor, but they didn't. The wages of the wicked was being stored up for the righteous. You see, so don't worry about being wronged or being shorted or whatever. Believe me, it'll come around. God will take care of it. Always does. Takes care of his people. Always takes care of his people. Now, this is a testimony. I've got several scriptures I want to give to you. 
as Elisha is trying to describe to this king the amazing things that Elisha has done, there's a reason the king's asking, okay? There's a reason. So before we get to that reason in the next section, let me go through why it's so important that Elisha shares all these miracles. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 26 through 27, I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom, men, must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Blown away by the works that God had done, that wasn't the big deal. What made them realize that this is the only true and living God. So we need to believe in what he says. And that's the key here. The signs and wonders are wonderful, but because the signs and wonders were only there to, to show evidence that he is the true and living God, so therefore whatever he says is true, we can trust it, okay? John chapter 4, verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. That's a contrast between these two, isn't it? Jesus is like, I sure wish or hope that you just believe my father at his word. But you're always looking for signs and wonders to confirm the word. How many signs and wonders do I have to do for you to understand that what I'm saying from the Father is absolutely true? Quit looking for signs and wonders all the time. Matthew chapter 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, this is a teaching, basically. I'm pulling this out, a little springboarding action, we call this to show us that signs and wonders are wonderful, but they're meant to confirm the word of God. The word of God is the spotlight. The spotlight is on what God says. Everything in his word is true. Everything is to be held. Oh, this is amazing. Signs and wonders only prove that what he's saying is true. And so therefore, oh yeah, miracles, signs, wonders. Okay, this is gold over here. This isn't the gold. This is the gold. This is the gold right here. This is what changes us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not by signs and wonders. And so the word of God is being magnified and shown to be true. And how do I know it's true? Because a lot of people have words. A lot of men have gone out saying things. Saying, the proof is in the signs and wonders that follow. Okay, so that's the idea. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 22. Men of Israel, Peter starts off this way. Great sermon, by the way. 3,000 people get saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And then he goes on to describe what Christ did for them. But He, he, he notes the signs and wonders. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 43, the church is birthed. And here's what they did. And they continued steadfastly, the church did, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship breaking of bread and prayers, those four things. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Evidence that this was not a philosophy or a self-help group. This was a living God touching people's lives and changing them from the inside out. Finally, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. 
just confirming the word, but it was the word that was the most important part. Now, I have a testimony for you. Happened last night. Now, I'll get emotional. Because God does this all the time, and I get to see a lot of this stuff because I'm kind of like a hub. I don't have anything to do with it, but it's like, okay, yep, okay. And I'm like this all the time. So I have knowledge of all these things that are happening. So let me fill you in on what God's doing in our fellowship. One of many stories. On Wednesday, we got a check in the box for $1,200 that said, please give this to some needy family. Great. So I tell the guys, hey, any needy families around here? They all raise their hand, like, give me the, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I said, so keep your eye out. You know, we've helped many through this time, but this is obviously specific for something or somebody what's going on, you know. Okay, Mike calls me, was it yesterday? And said, somebody's dropped some money, and I didn't know if it was you or what, but I set it on top of the tithe box, so I come in here to get it, and it's cash in a little envelope of $120 sitting there. All right, so I put it in the black envelope, so Toby, understand there's $120 in the cash we try not to keep it in the box out there and put it in the, in the thing. Okay, so here's the story. Oh, man. So last night, um, a young lady comes. Give me a minute. A young lady comes um, to our door with our guests. You know, uh, the Mullins were over and everything. We were eating, and she goes, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry to bother you. I really just need some prayer really quick before we go. I need some prayer. I've got this decision I need to make. I, I'm, I'm moving and all this. It's a big stretch for me. I don't know if I can afford it, and, and, but, I, but I really feel like I, I need it to get over here. It's a safer place for me. It's a better place, but I don't know if it's God's will. I keep getting scriptures over here that say, stay and be brave. Another one's saying, go and be, and I don't know. And I'm like, woman, I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. Would you just shut Satan up and just be clear? You know, I only want to know. And she finishes up with, it was really hard for me to tithe today or yesterday, but I did it anyway because I trust God. And immediately, well, not at that time, she died. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm standing there thinking, I'm like, what was that all about? God, I really hope that she really figures out what you want to do. Please help her. And I'm like, bing. She's the one that drops off the $120 worth of cash. And if anybody of you knows scriptures, when you do something like that, a couple times in scripture, it says, I will restore to you tenfold. So I got a check for $1,200 that says, give it to some needy family who's stressed out. I'm like, how easy was this? Come by and pick up a check for $1,200. Would you receive it? She goes, that's too much. I don't know if I can. Take it. It's not mine. It's yours. God set this up. That's a testimony of our living God, very active, not just a philosophy, not just someone we study historically, but working in ways I can't even, I mean, who does this? Within one week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, okay, great. Now that's easy ministry right there. I'll take that all day long, you know. So there's a testimony of what God's doing in a couple people. Someone had enough faith to say, I don't need this. I just know God wants me to give it, and I don't know to who. Another gal says, I'm just going to tithe because I trust the Lord, even though I can't afford it, like the world would say, but I'm trusting God, and all of a sudden, a day later, after she drops it in God's hands, he says, thanks, here, 1200 back. It's just, And I'm not saying that's how it works all the time. Most of the time, it doesn't. You tithe, then you tithe, and that's the way it is, you know? It isn't about that. I'm not trying to teach tithing. Pass the plate, guys, while we're talking about this. 
I'm not trying to do that. What I'm, you, you get it, right? What a beautiful thing our father did between two people in our fellowship. And I don't know. He wants to keep doing that kind of stuff with us. He just wants faithful people to use. He's got a lot of ideas. He's got a lot of ministry that he wants to do. And all we got to do is say, yes, and amen, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, you know? So there's a a testimony. I had to share it. Neither of them are here at the first service. So this is probably the only group I can share it with. Because I don't want to, you know, it's between them, but beautiful. Elisha shared, or uh, Gehazi shares about all the wonderful works of Elisha, giving evidence that Elisha is truly a man of the living God. Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Benadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here. Um, Saying, uh, the man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, remember that, Hazael, you you probably won't, way back in 1 Kings 19.15, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Heard about Naaman. Remember, Naaman is this guy's servant, healed him of the leprosy. Would you ask this man of God if I'm going to recover from my disease? Now, he sends Hazael. Hazael in 1 Kings chapter 19, 15. Then the Lord said to him, the prophet Elijah at the time, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. So he's already been anointed by God to become the king over Syria. So it is God's idea. This is a tough part here. This is God's idea to make him the next king of Syria. So he sends him. He hasn't become the king, obviously. has no idea he's supposed to be the king. Sent as a messenger to go to the prophet Elisha to find out if his boss, Ben-Hadad, is going to recover. So Hazael went to meet him, Elisha, and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus. Now, understand what presents looked like back then. Forty camel loads, and he came and stood before him and said, so this is no, you know, stop by Hallmark kind of thing. Forty camel loads of stuff. He came and stood before him and said, your son Benadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Now, if you stopped there, you'd be like, so is God trying to trick him? Is he lying to him? No. Everything he just said there is true. You would have recovered from the disease. That isn't what's going to kill you, though, is the idea. Now, I say that because this is just one of the weirdest stories in the Scriptures, but it just shows his omnipotence and omniscience here. And then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? So he tells him this story. Yeah, he's going to recover from the disease, but he's going to die, and he just stares at him. I was going to stare at you guys to make you uncomfortable, but kind of that thing, just like, I'm waiting for David to freak out here. He's not going to freak out. It's like, it's like, what? You know, and he begins to weep. What's happening is he's having a vision while he's staring at David here. He's having a vision while he's staring at this guy. He's having a vision. God's showing him all that this man he's looking at is going to do. 
He says, why are you weeping? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Here's what you're going to do. The strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their mother with child. Pretty gruesome. So Hazael said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? Shocking. And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Well, yeah, he's already been anointed. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died and Hazael reigned in his place. That's like the original waterboarding right there. It's exactly what that is. Except like didn't stop for recovery. It smothered him basically. Now, I mean, when you read stuff like that, you're like, okay, what in the world? It isn't easy to dissect these kind of things, but here's what I, here's what the Lord, I think, showed me as I'm saying, man, even if you think that is, there is no way in the world I would do something like that. It's amazing the kind of evil that we're capable of. Without God, without his governance in our lives, it's amazing the kind of evil that we're capable of. I think far more than we even can think. Just like this guy, am I a dog? I would never do that thing to children, to women. That's crazy. But I'd smother my boss just at the idea of becoming king. I mean, I was anointed. Maybe it's time. And he said so. And I'll, something clicked in this guy's head where he started things in motion. He began to do it. Now, God isn't making him smother. God's not going to make him do all these things. The prophet begins to weep because he's only seeing the future. This is what's going to happen. I can see it is all this guy's decision. It's all his fault. The responsibility falls squarely upon his shoulders, as does all of my sin and all of our sins do. But God sees it. So, a couple of scriptures I wanted to cover here are just actually... Um, yeah, now yeah, several. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We, we think we know our hearts. We think we know where our line is, what we're capable of, what we're not capable of. But God looks at, obviously, much further and much deeper than we do. And so when the writer there, Jeremiah, says, Who can know it? Well, God can know it. And that's the idea. And that's what's happened. Even though Hazael says, there is no way I would ever do anything like that. God is saying, I'm looking deeper into your heart than you ever have. And that's why David says, I know my sin, but I still want you to search me and to know me, O God. Search me and to know me and show it to me. I want to know. I look back on my life and it's not, I haven't done this. But I look back on some of the things I've done in my life up until this point, I'm like, who was that person? Since Christ has saved me, since I've become more like Christ, I'm not there yet, never, haven't attained, will never attain until I die. But I'm working towards that thing, and I'm so much different than the person that I was, but I can't believe as I look back on this same body, mind, and heart, what I was capable of doing in the past, I'm incapable of doing now under God's authority. 
If I was to reject God's authority, I'm sure I would revert. I'm positive I would revert and improve upon my sin. And I think it's just a good check for us. There's no way I would ever do something like that. That's how it's so easy for us to point the finger. Oh, can you believe those people in Minneapolis? And can you believe this has happened? And can you believe all those? What do I look like when I'm not governed by God? What do I look like when he's not on the throne of my life, when he's not king? What would I look like now if I had never gotten saved at the age of 50 years old, practicing sin? What would I look like? We don't have a lot of the problems. We have a lot of symptoms. But there's only one problem in this world, and that is the necessity of people accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, making him king of their lives, letting him rule, becoming born again. Everything we see outside of that, the sin, that's just symptoms of the fact that they are ruling their own lives. They are governing. They are steering their own ships. They're the captain. And that's what it looks like. We eat fruit we're not supposed to eat. And we do these kind of things when we're unchecked by the Lord. So it surprises him. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the, for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit is praying for us in ways that we didn't even think to pray for ourselves. Oh God, I need money. Oh God, I need to get out of this mess. Oh God, and the Spirit said, oh God, keep him from doing that. Oh God, you know interceding for us in ways we wouldn't accept. Psalm 139, 1 through 2. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. That's a relief. I'm glad I'm transparent to the Lord. I'm not transparent to people, and neither are you. We only show what we want people to see. That's it. But God sees past everything. Everything your husband doesn't show you, God sees it. Everything your wife doesn't show you, God sees it. And you have to trust in those things and kids and so on and relatives and coworkers and friends and all these people that are only showing you what you are supposed to see from them. God is looking deeper and I am grateful for that. That he sees me for who I am and still loves me with an everlasting love. And still, and still, and still. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The author knows I cannot do this on my own. This is something you need to write. This is something you need to fix. This is a heart issue. I cannot do my own surgery. Spiritually speaking, there is no way for me to do this. I will let you. I allow you. I give permission. I submit myself to the hand of the great healer of the wonderful physician that we have in God, and he will fix me, not from cancer and not from all these temporary things that's killing the tent, but from the most desperate need that we have, a broken heart, a ruined heart, a stony heart. Take it away from me and give me a fleshy one. And heart transplant. This could not possibly be me. Do you think I'm a dog that I would do so? It's not honorable. And yet the next day he smothers his boss. Verse 16. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahab's going to come up a lot because he was like the worst ever, okay? He and his wife Jezebel. 
And so whenever this, these, throughout these next few paragraphs, it's Ahab and Ahab and Ahab. He's not even here, but he had such an influence on all the relatives around him and people around him that he, when they talk about this person, this person's horrible, he's a relative of Ahab. You know? Now, they didn't have to be that way, but they certainly adopted all of his principles is what's happened to them. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, two different guys, Joram and Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Just a little insight into the way God thinks. Yeah, I'm gonna, David, I'm going to bless you. The Messiah is going to come from your line. It's going to be a beautiful thing. But once in a while in this chain of events, you got a, you got a bad apple. And this is a bad apple, but God does not forsake his promises to David because of this bad apple. He's going to have to deal with this bad apple, but he's going to move on and move towards the Messiah here. We're following that chain. This is what's happened here. As this guy, king of Judah, has walked in the ways of Ahab, that's Israel. Remember the two separate groups here? you got the 10 tribes of Israel. you got the two tribes in the south. This is the first time we see that transition from idolatry up here to now idolatry also in Judah. It's the whole nation's in idolatry now. This is the moment. This is the buildup for the Babylonian captivity. Okay, this is where God's going to be like, okay, I mean, it's permeated every aspect. A little leaven has leavened the whole lump. It's time to fix things here with the Babylonian captivity, or try to, anyway. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority. They would pay tribute and stuff like that and kind of be subservient. And made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zair and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him. And the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libna revolted at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahazai, um, or Ahaziah, maybe, Ahaziah, there we go, his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, there it is again, king of Israel, Ahazai, whatever, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahazai was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. That's a short reign. His mother's name was um, Atali, or Atalia, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. She wasn't the greatest lady either. And he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. You think he's trying to get a point across here? Bad guy, right? Now, he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah, 
when he fought against Hazael, king of, of Syria. And Ahazai, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. Got all that straight now in your head? I know. I know. And, and, and I'm not going to help you. That's it. That's just <laughs> a bunch of dudes way back then did a bunch of stuff. I don't know. There's more to it, but for today, that first section was really what I believe God wanted us to focus on. Now, the next two chapters are some bloody chapters. I'm just warning you. The two kings that we just talked about that we just went over, they get assassinated, okay? Uh, arrows and, and everything later on. And then Ahab's wife, who's still around, you know, she had a prophecy about her that the dogs were going to eat her and like, you know, that happens next few weeks too. So be encouraged. A lot of blood in the next two weeks at Calvary Chapel. It's the way it is. These guys are evil guys, you know? And, and I don't mean to laugh, but God is sovereign and, and he's putting people in place and he's moving pieces around. Like the story I just told you about our fellowship, he's at work doing stuff. And although we see snapshots of Ahab kind of guys and, and Jehoram kind of guys and these kind of... He's still working out all things for good. It's all moving towards the Messiah. Everything in history from the time we ate the fruit and shouldn't have all the way has been working towards the cross. And ever since the cross, all we've been doing is looking back at the cross. It's just a beautiful pivotal point. It's the most important point in history in time and space and everything. That's it. The cross, everything was taken care of. We sang a song, beautiful new song, by the way. I love that. Uh, we, we died with Christ and we rose with Christ. I mean, it is really, literally everything is Jesus, okay? So that's where we close this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the beautiful faithfulness, even after the leprosy of, of this uh, servant of Elisha's giving out the, the true testimony, um, had his own problems, had his own fleshy moments, but still, when it came time to talk about the man of God, he gave a true testimony. And Lord, regardless of how we feel each day, regardless of our of our day-to-day, when someone stops us, even I've seen this happen in the middle of our sin or in the middle of being a backsliding state, someone says, hey, what do you know about Jesus? All of a sudden, it all comes flooding back to us. And we're able to share. And it almost pulls us back to where we're supposed to be, leads us to repentance. So God, we thank you for testimonies. We thank you for the things you've done in other people's lives that we've seen and witnessed and been a part of in some way. And we're so thankful for what you've done in our lives individually. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the testimony that we have, the ability to tell other people what you've done for us personally. We thank you for that. We pray that you get all the glory for all these things. What a beautiful God we serve. You're wonderful. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys need prayer before you go, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.